We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's up everybody welcome back to the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl packers get their first victory of the season a 27 to 10 win against the chicago bears and a couple things. I had a few predictions going into this game. I said that the Bears would score under 14 points. Check. I'm counting that one. Although that touchdown, non-touchdown Justin Fields run in, I think he probably like a probably at least like a hair of that ball is probably on the line, which is probably a touchdown. But I, don't, I think they made the right call and not overturning it. I don't think you could see anything definitively. So I'm still taking the win there. I said the Packers would win 23 to 13. Eh, you know, not too bad, right? Four points off on the Packers, three points off on the Bears. So nothing brutal. Uh, but I said that the Bears would be pesky in this game and annoying and hang around and hang around. That was not the case. The Packers were clearly the better team. They they did have, you know, that little, you know, they had the touchdown at the beginning, make it seven to three and, you know, maybe feel like they were going to hang around and be annoying. And then the Packers had a 21 point second quarter. And that was basically the end of that. So overall, I, I actually thought that this was basically the the most perfect game that the Packers could have in this scenario. I, I said yesterday that these are my least favorite games, right? Because you're favored going into this game. You're facing a team that you're supposed to beat. You're at home. You're at Lambeau. 
And if you win by a ton, it's like, oh, okay, that was nice, but it's just the Bears. It doesn't matter. If you barely win, it's like, ah, you got the win, but it shouldn't have been that hard. Why was it that hard? And if you lose, it feels catastrophic and the world is collapsing underneath your feet. And we're at, we're having to talk all week about the Packers going to the Buccaneers at 0-2, coming off losses to the Vikings and Bears, 0-2 in the division. It's just like, there is very little to gain and a lot to lose in that type of game. But I actually thought this was like the perfect perfect scenario for this type of game. So first of all, they got the win, which is most important. Second of all, 27 to 10 is, I, I think, a good result in, in you know almost all phases, right? So uh, I thought special teams played well. I thought the offense had the 21-point the second quarter and showed flashes of being far improved from what they were a, a week ago. Still some things that they need to clean up and improve upon, which we'll get to, but overall they show the flashes that they need and they get the point production that they need to be successful in this game. Uh, on the defensive side, you limit the Bears to 10 points. You Again, you get the win. Seemingly, there's no injuries. I don't know if maybe there were a couple nicks and bruises here or there that we just didn't know about or see, but it didn't seem like anyone had any major injuries. We saw Lazard go out for a second, but he came back in. You were never really stressed in this game, but at the same token, I think there was still plenty to learn from. So you had this scenario where you got the fairly easy win. It was never stressful, but you still had enough on tape where you're like, okay, there's a lot that you still need to clean up, but it was still a major step in the right direction, especially going back to a week ago against Minnesota. Is it only the Bears? Yes. Is it only the Bears? Is it a completely talent deficient team on that you know, for, for the Chicago side? Yes, very clearly. But I thought this was about as perfect of an outcome as you could possibly have, because I think you actually got some learning points from this game. There were too many mistakes still. Those fumbles, the the one that Rogers said that he messed up, he messed up the timing on the handoff with AJ Dillon. You had the one that he said that Rogers said Josh Myers had basically a brain fart, quote unquote, uh, where he snapped it on one instead of snapping it on two. It hits Christian Watson and results in a fumble. I thought there was enough of those sort of things. You had an Amari Rogers muff punt that could have been way worse. Those are the things that you want to clean up. And I think it's still okay at this point, especially in a win like that, to have a couple of those things on tape that you know exist, that you know need to get cleaned up, especially before a very tough game in Tampa Bay a week from now. So all of the steps I felt like were taken in the right direction for Green Bay to improve from a week ago. If they can take those steps again and clean up some of the mistakes that they had from this game, they should get better. And if they can do that as the course of the season goes along, I've said this, you know, going back weeks and months now, I think this is going to be a team that is going to lose more games than they have in, in the Matt LaFleur era. I, I think they're going to end up with maybe, you know, five, six losses this season. That wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if they started the season one and two. And I said this a, a while back before they even had the Viking loss, that if they lost to the Vikings and lost to the Buccaneers, that wouldn't surprise me if they started that way. And I said at the time, and I believe it now, that won't matter at all. I think this is going to be a team that as the season goes along, they continue to progress. They continue to get better. They continue to trust themselves. They play complementary football. They learn how to be a more defensive oriented team. And I think those things are going to take a little bit of time, but I think they're going to grow and really, you know, gear up come playoff time to be the team that they need to be to hopefully win playoff games, something that they haven't done when they've been a more offensive oriented team. So I think this was a real step in the right direction. Yes, just Chicago, but I don't know what more you could have wanted or really got out of this game than what Green Bay got. And again, it seems like they got out with no injury. So strong step in the right direction overall. And I thought this game really started on the right foot really before the game even started. We had learned uh, basically on Saturday night that Alan Lazard 
Lazard was going to be active. We then learned on Sunday morning that David Bakhtiari was going to be out, although that was reported by Ryan Wood a week ago, so it should not have come as a surprise. But Bill Huber had the report Sunday morning that he was officially going to be, I guess not officially, but he was going to be out for the game. And then when the inactives came out, it was official, official. And then when the inactives came out, we got the confirmation that Lazard was in and Bakhtiari were out. But Elton Jenkins and John Runyon Jr. would also be active. A, it just felt massive that it was going to be the return of Elton Jenkins in this game. And I said it, I tweeted it out, but just the feel of this team on paper and just competitively going from no Alan Lazard and Elton Jenkins and half of the game without John Runyon Jr. a week ago to having all of those guys in this game just felt so incredibly important. And like I said at the time, like it maybe Green Bay would have came out and still struggled, but it just feels so much better having Lazard and Jenkins out there. And Matt LaFleur came out about as strong a, a, of a compliment that I've ever heard him give. And he, he gives out compliments pretty regularly to just about everyone, right? But I thought this was about the strongest compliment he's given. He basically said, he just went way out of his way, not, you know, non-prompted to say that, you know, how great it was to have Elton Jenkins back and went as far to say that he didn't think Green Bay would have won this game had it not been for Elton Jenkins being able to play. So a huge statement from Matt LaFleur of how important Elton Jenkins was in this game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers also said, I, I think it was Bill Huber who asked him, you know, it wasn't Jenkins, you know, greatest performance, but, uh, you know, how did he feel about getting Jenkins back in there and how important it was? And Bill is right. Like it, it wasn't a great performance overall from Elton. You could see he had a little bit of rust and he's playing at right tackle, which has not been his usual position. Like you could tell there was just a, a bit of a, I just think working the rust off. Right. But you know, Rogers also said like, you know, there's, he basically summed it up by saying there's different ways to define success. It's not always just stats or like, you know, giving up some sacks here and there. He thought this was a massively successful performance by Elton Jenkins. And it, it just feels that way, right? There was always going to have to be that first game back. There was always going to be some rust. There was always going to be some hiccups. Like I said, he's playing right tackle, uh, which hasn't been his overall natural position through the course of his career in Green Bay, even though he's played it a little bit. Uh, overall, just getting him back out there and having him man one of those tackle spots and not have to put Royce Newman out there and not have to put Jake Han you know, not have to put Royce Newman at right tackle, not have to put Jake Hansen at right guard, meaning Newman could pit, you know, pinch in to right guard. I just thought those things were so incredibly important. And maybe the the PFF grade and my grade aren't gonna be great for Elton Jenkins, but I think the improvement that Green Bay had on offense because they were able to really set their offensive line, have Newman play his natural position, not have to play Hanson and Newman on the right side. I don't know that I necessarily fully agree with Matt LaFleur. I think the Packers win that game without Elton Jenkins, uh, but it would have been a lot more challenging. I certainly feel that way. So uh, huge that he is back and hopefully he got out of that game unscathed. It certainly seemed like he did. Hopefully he can learn or not learn, but like grow and, and just, you know, hopefully the rust is off now and he can be the stalwart along the offensive line that everyone knows and expects him to be. Um, I think he'll have, I don't think he's going to have any issues at right tackle. I think he's going to be a very, very good right tackle moving forward. Uh, you could even see him start to get, you know, really a foothold in the game as the game went along. So uh, just ama absolutely amazing to have Elton Jenkins back. And then of course, great to see John Runyon Jr. and Alan Lazard out there as well. Uh, starting offensive line did end up being Yash Nyman, John Runyon Jr., Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Elton Jenkins. And man, did it feel so good. And you, you could just tell, I thought Rodgers was a little bit 
jittery early in this game, like just not necessarily seeing the field great. He had a couple missed throws, uh, but I thought as the game went along, you could see him gain trust in his offensive line. I think certainly running the ball and getting the ball in the hands of Dylan and Jones was certainly a key piece of that as well. But it felt like Rodgers started to trust his line more as the game went along and certainly understandably so. I think that was a little bit more um, of the reason that they had some of the efficiencies that they did, especially in the second quarter when they put up 21 points. Uh, you could see Rodgers just settle down a little bit and start to trust his guys. So really great to have that offensive line back. Of course, one key piece missing, that's David Bakhtiari. We'll see if he's able to go next week against Tampa. But as Matt LaFleur says all along, or has said all along, we're going to take it one week at a time and we will take it one more week with David Bakhtiari. And then from there, if we need to. So that's where we're at with that right now. More importantly, I want to talk about Aaron freaking Jones, who was nothing short of phenomenal in this game. And I will be the absolute first to admit, I think it is so easy to take Aaron Jones for granted. He's just been here for so long now. He's not the new guy in town. You know, he, um, I don't think he's necessarily lost a step, but the, it, it felt, I, I think it felt kind of that way at times where I was just like, all right, is he the same guy? But I, as I said last year, Aaron Jones graded out great for me. I, I thought his lack of maybe explosive plays was a lot more due to the offensive line, but we saw him have an explosive against Minnesota. He had a couple explosives this week against Chicago. Like he just looks phenomenal. Like I said, it's so easy to take him for granted. And I think it was even more easy when the Packers had Devontae Adams at wide receiver because he's making all the flash explosive big plays, 20 targets a game, etc. Meanwhile, Aaron Jones is splitting time with AJ Dillon and it's just easy to sort of lose track of just how talented a player Aaron Jones was. And eight touches, I know, got a lot of play uh, by just about everyone for him only getting eight touches against the Minnesota Vikings. And I, at the time, I was like, yeah, that's not great, but like that's going to happen with Jones and Dylan, and you're just going to have a game or two here or there where one of those guys just kind of gets the short end of the stick. But watching them sort of force feed the ball, and, all, and I'm saying that in a positive way, to Jones and Dylan in this game, you can just see why it is so insanely important that Aaron Jones gets his, you know, his touches every game. And Dylan too, like both of those guys need to see the ball. And I thought it was impressive because, jo you know, basically LaFleur and, and everyone said, we got to get Jones and uh, Dylan more involved in the game plan and more involved in the action this week. The Bears clearly heard that. And it's not like you can just take that as canon because teams lie all the time about that stuff. But you got to know that the Bears knew that the Packers were going to use Jones and Dylan a ton in this game. And it didn't matter, right? The Bears couldn't stop it. And while this Bears team is devoid of talent, I do think they have, I don't think it's like a great defense, but I think it's a pretty darn good defense. And I think, you know, as those rookies and, and Brisker and Gordon start to, you know, improve as the season goes along, I think this has the ability to be a pretty solid Bears defense. And they just didn't have a way to stop Jones or Dylan. And clearly Jones was the you know, the bell cow in this specific game and what he was able to do. He he was phenomenal. He was phenomenal running. He was phenomenal catching out of the backfield. He just made play after play. And he he spoke after the game of like, you know, stay, he said, stay slippery. And that's that's what he has done his entire career. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He's not the anyist. Like he's just not. Like he doesn't have like the one true trait that you would say like that's you know, he's the best in the league at this. He might be, I might be taking my words back right now. He might be the slipperiest running back in the league because you just don't expect him 
to pinball the way that he pinballs. You just don't expect him to slip away the way that he slips away. You don't expect him to stiff arm the way that he stiff arms. You look at him in the game and you're like, you, you would never expect him to be able to do the things that he does to NFL safeties and linebackers and defensive linemen. Like he has a full repertoire of escapability moves. I don't even know how to define it better than that, where he can slip away, he can stiff arm, he can just bounce off of players. He has a great, and I mean a great center of gravity where he always is on balance. You know, he he's not like a big juke or acceleration guy. He's just slippery as heck. And I thought he did a great job of just staying out of tackles, keeping his feet moving, and just keeping the ball moving downfield. And he had another great quote too. You know, I forget the exact question that he was asked, but it was something to the extent of, um, you know, can you and, and Dylan, do you guys talk about, you know, being the, the, the force that's going to drive this Packers team this year. And he said something to the fact of, you know, no, we haven't talked about that. And that's not exactly what we're thinking of. You know, we know we can be that. And if we can do that, that's great. And we're all for it. But the, what he said more importantly was that the, what they did talk about is that they feel like they can be the spark plug for this offense. And what he meant by that is when he had the big run against Minnesota a week ago, it was sort of the thing that got the team going just a little bit. Like he said, you could see everyone on the sidelines start to get excited and jumping around. He's like, that brought the energy to the team. And he's like, that's what he felt he and Dylan could really bring to the game. You're never going to know how many touches you're going to get or how much you know run you're going to get with the starters, anything like that. You just don't know how the ball is going to get distributed on any given game. But he did feel like if they could just make the you know a couple splash plays here and there, they could be the spark plug. They could be the catalyst to really be in the, the players that get the energy going for the entire team. And I thought all throughout the game, Jones especially, but Dylan a little bit as well, were the, the spark plug in this game, the, what really got this team going. And tip of the cap to the offensive line for providing those opportunities. But man, Aaron Jones was phenomenal. The, he had 18 touches for 170 yards and two touchdowns. Just a beautiful, beautiful game. And the running backs combined for 33 uh, 33 rushes, 193 yards and a touchdown, four catches, 44 yards and a touchdown, 37 total touches, you know what, uh, 237 yards and two touchdowns. Just a beautiful game. They fed the running backs and it paid off in a major way. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another player that Rodgers mentioned a week ago that he said was tearing it up in practice and they had to do a better job of getting him involved was Sammy Watkins. Now, he only had four targets. He led the team with four targets. And I thought Aaron Rodgers and, and really the team did a great job of spreading the passing targets around. Uh, I think eight players uh, had two or more targets and it was only Sammy Watkins who had four. And I think only Tunyon who had two, everyone else had three. So it was like very, very spread around. Uh, but Sammy Watkins, four targets, three catches, 93 yards. And I thought he showed a lot more this week than he did a week ago. He looked much more explosive in the open field. He showed off great hands. He had the big explosive play, you know, late in the game that kind of sealed the game. I just thought we saw a lot more from Sammy Watkins. And if he can provide that on the outside, that is a huge step for this offense. And I'm not saying he's going to go three for 93 every week, but just being able to be a guy that can you know, flash that type of uh, playmaking ability, I think is really, really important. As Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson get more ingrained in this offense, it's going to be up to Lazard and Watkins and Cobb to make, you know, to do some of the heavy lifting and make some of those big catches. And I thought we saw that in this game. Cobb had a big third down conversion and a couple of really other nice completions. Lazard had the the first down over the middle and then he had the touchdown. And then, um, you, you know, Sammy Watkins had, again, three for 93, including the big uh, play and he had a, a couple plays early in the game that kind of sparked the offense as well. So uh, I really liked what I saw to Sammy Watkins in this game and give a ton of credit to this wide receiver core as well. I thought Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, those guys especially were really blocking well downfield. Even Cobb had a couple of nice blocks. So uh, credit to the receivers on the offside for really doing the dirty work as well, which isn't going to show up in the box score quite as much. On the defensive side of the ball, I thought Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary really set the pace. And those guys set strong edges for the most part throughout the course of the game. We know David Montgomery had a great game and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I thought those guys set a a strong edge. And you have to remember, like the Bears barely threw the ball in this game. In fact, Justin Fields ends up with seven completions on 11 attempts. Now he was sacked three times. So um, I'm sure there was a few more than this that ended up in scrambles as well. You know, he had eight rushes for 20 yards or whatever, but like, he had technically in the in the scorebooks, he has 14, you know, pass attempts, basically 11 actual attempts, and then three times that he was sacked. So 14 times, and he was sacked three of those 14, uh, two by Preston and one by Rashawn Gary. I mean, if you're getting three sacks on basically 14 dropbacks, that is as impressive as it gets. Like you, you can't ask for much more than that. So you might not see a ton of pressures and stuff in this game from Gary and, and Preston. If you're looking at just the box score, that's because the Bears didn't pass the ball. They basically just ran the ball the entire game. The Bears didn't trust Justin Fields at all in this game. And it's not like it was a monsoon. There was just some light rain in the third quarter. That was it. And they just did not trust him. And I thought that, you know, the, the pressure in this game and, and really the defensive performance started with Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. I thought Preston has had a really nice start to this season and really excited what he's been able to bring to the table so far. Uh, Bears had only 41 total plays of offense. And again, three sacks, even if you just want to take all the plays together, three sacks on 41 total plays, you'll take that every day of the week. And then uh, only 48 net passing yards. 
for, think about that for a second. 48 net passing yards. So 70 uh, gross yards passing. And then they had the, the sacks that took away 22 yards. So uh, 48 net yards passing in 2022, a non-poor condition night, like just absolutely crazy uh, that the Bears just could not pass the ball at all. And I, I talked about this a little bit last week and went over some of the drives for the Packers defense, but I want to do this again, starting with the very last drive of the second quarter for the Minnesota Vikings a week ago. So end of the second quarter, last drive, and then the second half for the Vikings and the full game against the Bears. Here were the last 14 drives for the Packers defense. Three plays, one yard, punt. Four plays, negative five yards, field goal. Five plays, 20 yards, punt. 12 plays, 74 yards, field goal. 7 plays, 34 yards, punt. 7 plays, 71 yards, touchdown. 3 plays, negative 2 yards, punt. 3 plays, negative 2 yards, punt. 3 plays, 4 yards, punt. 1 play, 3 yards, halftime. 3 plays, 7 yards, punt. 7 plays, 43 yards, field goal. 13 plays, 89 yards, turnover on downs. 2 plays, 0 yards, interception. So when you add that all up, 14 drives, during that time, last drive of the second quarter against the Vikings up until end of game against the Bears, 14 drives, seven punts, three field goals, one touchdown, one interception, one turnover on downs, one halftime. Basically, you know, time ran out or they just didn't do anything. That also amounts to 14 drives, 337 yards in those 14 drives or 24 yards per drive. And that's again, over six quarters. So 337 yards in over six quarters, 24 yards per drive, two turnovers, 16 total points during that time. And only three of, or excuse me, three of those points were not on the defense at all. It was due to an offensive turnover. They actually went negative five yards on the drive and still kicked the field goal. So only 13 of those points actually on the defense. So I think there's ways that you would still like to see them play a little bit better. I thought the tackling was poor in this game. I think if they could have just tackled David Montgomery on first attempt, I don't know that the Bears would have had yards in this game. That's the type of game that it was for Chicago. Like they probably would have like 80 yards. But uh, overall, ever since the the last drive of the second quarter uh, for the Vikings up until the end of the Bears game, really impressive stuff from the defense. I know there's things that they can improve upon, but man, that's a strong building block, you know, really ever since the the first half against the Vikings. Now they did give up, um, you know, an opening drive touchdown again, which is two times in two games. They've only given up three touchdowns on the season, the Packers defense, only three touchdowns. Two of them have been on the opening drive, one against the Bears, one against the Vikings. So that is something they're going to have to clean up and we'll keep an eye on how Tom Brady does on his opening drive against the Packers next week. Another thing I just wanted to touch base on really quick, because I saw this and somebody commented on it on Twitter, but so the Packers are up 14 points going into the fourth quarter and the Bears have the ball, just the start of the start of the fourth, 15 minutes left. And you know, I saw a lot of people that were upset of like, man, you, you know, you can say that the, the Packers defense played well, they only allowed 10 points, but when it's a 14 point game going into the fourth quarter and the Bears go right down the field, 89 yards and could have scored a, a touchdown that would have cut the, the game to seven, I guess that maybe they would have went for two in that situation because um, that's what teams do now. Uh, but like cut the cut the game to a single touchdown one way or the other. Um, th- that's not good defense. And I, I don't want to, I'm not making excuses for the Packers defense here. That was an unacceptable drive overall from the Packers defense um, outside of the them stopping at the goal line, right? Like there, and why I say that 
is just because there were too many missed tackles. And if they would have just tackled David Montgomery, that would have made things a lot more challenging and you can't give up those big explosive runs based off of missed tackles. That being said, what Green Bay wants there in that situation, they basically got to perfection. And what, I mean, clearly you would like a turnover. Clearly you would like a three and out. So don't get me wrong. Those would be the ideal situations, right? But the philosophy in that situation is like, I think what people don't understand is that in those situations, in all, in the entire game, the teams are thinking of this, like they're the, the, like they're the casino, like they're the house, like they're the ones that want to dictate the rules that are going to give them the best opportunity, the best winning odds at the end of the day. And when you're up 14 points and the Chicago Bears who have been anemic on offense all day long, the one thing you don't want to do is give up an explosive play touchdown, no 50 yard touchdown. So you're playing, you know, usually two safeties back, cover two shell, making sure that everything stays in front of you. And you're making sure that you're not giving up those big explosive plays. And what you're willing to say is, all right, if they're going to score a touchdown, they're going to have to go you know, 13 plays, 89 yards. They're going to have to chew up a ton of clock and we're going to dare them to run the football. We're going to say, you know, we're going to, you know, we're not going to let you pass. You're going to have to have the patience to run the football. And then by the way, when you get in the red zone, we're going to really knuckle down and we still have a chance, even if you drive all the way down and even if you're patient all the way, and even if you run the ball and stay and do all that, you're going to chew up a ton of time. And then we think that our red zone defense can hold you out of the end zone at that point. And even if they can't, even if you get the touchdown, you just ate up a ton of your time. Now our offense has the ball with an opportunity to do a, a four or five minute drill to basically seal the game or get points, which seals the game. And even if they can't do that, even if they can't do that, then we punt the ball away. And we still think that we're going to stop you on your next drive to make it that you can't win the game. And even if we can't do that, we probably have Aaron Rodgers with a two minute drill or, uh, you know, at least some time left at the end to maybe try to go down and score a game winning field goal. So what Green Bay's doing here, when I say they're playing like the casino and they're playing like the house, they're giving themselves a ton of outs. Basically the way that you lose or give yourself a real chance to lose the game is if you give the bears an, ex- you know, an explosive play and let them score, you know, with, you know, in one play, 75 yards and a touchdown, right? They do that. Now it's a six or seven, eight point game, depending if they go for two, a one score game or with, you know, basically a full quarter left. That's giving the bears a ton of outs. If you can make them go and take a bunch of time off the clock and make them go the length of the field, you've given yourself, you know, outs by, if you can get off the field uh, without them scoring a touchdown on the drive and buckle down in the red zone, you win. If you can go on a, you know, five minute drive on offense or just score points on offense, you win. If you can stop them on the next drive, you win. Even if all that goes wrong, if you score points before the end of the game, you win. Even if that doesn't happen, you still can win in overtime. Green Bay is giving themselves out after out after out after out. The Bears need every every one of those things to go right. They need to score when they get in the red zone. They need to get a stop against the Packers offense. They need to get the ball back. They need to go down and score again. They need to stop Aaron Rodgers on a two-minute drill. Then they need to get the ball in overtime and actually go and win the game. They need all of that to go right. So Green Bay is giving themselves outs by making them go the length of the field. They're playing no big play defense. And while that's frustrating at times to see the offense go down the field and march and take up time and you know just gain yards, they played that the way that they're supposed to, not saying it was perfect. There's a lot of things that they need to clean up on that drive. But at the end of it, 13 play drive for the Bears offense, 89 yards, chewed up six minutes and 46 seconds of the clock 
and they didn't score. Was Did they come close to scoring? Yes. A little bit too close for comfort? Yes. But Green Bay did, had the right philosophy. I'm not saying they played it perfectly. They did not. They need to clean that stuff up. But the philosophy and how they played that, making sure that they don't give up explosive plays, making sure they have to march the length of the field, challenging the Bears to stay patient on offense, challenging them to run the football and eat up the clock. They did all of those things and they got off the field technically without allowing any points. So the philosophy worked. Bears, uh, you know, don't get any points. Packers were able to then drive down, get three points, seal the game, and it was over from there. By the way, the, the Bears passed two times on that drive, and the, the Packers are playing pass defense on that drive to make sure that they're not giving up big plays. Two pass plays, an incomplete deep ball to Darnell Mooney, and a sack. So they handled their business there. Couple other notes, really quick. I thought the Jair interception was absolutely phenomenal, crossing all the way across the field to pick that pass off. Just a beautiful play by Jair Alexander. I thought we saw more flash plays from Koi Walker. Not many linebackers chasing down uh, Justin Fields and getting him out at the one inch line uh, on that drive in the fourth quarter. So we're starting to see more and more flash from Koi Walker. It's still a ways to go, uh, but I think we see those flash plays over the first two weeks. Loved what I saw from the special teams. Man, what a night and day difference. You can tell this Rudy Ford, Keyshawn Nixon, Dallin Levitt led special teams. Three guys that are known for their special teams. What a huge difference that that makes. They have special teams aces on this team that care about special teams, that know how to play special teams, and the results have shown themselves immensely already. And Amari Rogers, 20-yard punt return as well. So a couple high snaps from Jack Coco. We had the muff punt. There was a punt returner, uh, uh, punt return holding. So a couple things that still can get cleaned up, but man, just a night and day difference through two games so far. Uh, Huge kudos to David Montgomery in this game. Yes, this is a Packers podcast, but we can certainly shout out players who have great games on the other team as well. I thought David Montgomery was fantastic. He ends up with 15 rushes, 122 yards, two catches, 14 yards on two targets, uh, overall 136 yards on just 17 touches. Green Bay has to tackle much better, but that was a really strong performance from David Montgomery. Um, if I were another NFL team, not Green Bay, because the Bears wouldn't trade him in the division and they don't need running backs anyway. But if I were a playoff contending team, um, I would be calling Chicago and saying, what do you want for David Montgomery? Because they would probably listen on offers because they're a rebuilding team and David Montgomery probably doesn't fit their timeline anyway. Uh, Khalil Herbert looks like a really nice running back as a number two. They could probably give him some of those number one snaps. But man, if I were a playoff team that needed any sort of running back, I would be calling the Bears just about every day until they're ready to trade David Montgomery. He looked fantastic in this game. And last but not least, um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't think the Bears trusted Justin Fields at all in this game. And while I, I'm not saying Jordan Love is necessarily better, um, but there's no way you can look me in the eye and tell me that Justin Fields right now is appreciatively better in any way, shape, or form than Jordan Love right now. And to be fair, Jordan Love has an extra year in the league and Jordan Love looked terrible in his second year. And Justin Fields is just in his second year right now. So it's not an apples to apples comparison. But if you told me right now who I needed to win a game with, if it was either Jordan Love or Justin Fields, call me crazy. I'm taking Jordan Love right now. That I've watched Justin Fields on the All-22 last game. He looked bad. It was poor conditions and he's got an awful supporting cast that could go a long way in defining it. But maybe Justin Fields is better. Um, but I, I think I might go Jordan Love. And honestly, like 
either way, I don't think there's a massive difference. I don't think anyone can look me in the eye and be like, no, Justin Fields is just way better than Jordan Love right now. And who knows? They're both wild cards, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Either could end up being a Hall of Famer, either could end up being a bust, and it could be anything in between. They're just too early in their careers to tell. But I'm telling you, there's not there's not a ton of difference that there is. And I'm I probably would take Jordan Love if I had to had to win a game right now over Justin Fields. That's that's kind of the start it's been for Justin Fields in this Bears offense. That's gonna do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate it. I'll be right back here with an all new episode on the YouTube version. Jacob, Ross, and Jake will be right back here tomorrow on the audio version. So make sure to subscribe wherever you are getting your favorite pack a day podcast. But until next time, and as always, go pack go. decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.